The man in red. I would do anything. It's Christmas. The snow has been falling for days. The air is as cold as ice, as is the ground beneath my feet, which is in fact ice and as slippery as a man-made ice rink or like walking upon the frozen water of a pond or a small lake. Even when the night is as dark and as black as can be, as the bright stars sparkle above and as the moon shines like a searchlight in the sky, the pure whiteness of the snow can clearly be seen. Light and dark, a black sky and a white ground, duality. When the snow starts to fall heavily, it's sometimes giant frozen flakes can even make a man in black turn almost white when those flakes land upon him. I've always loved this time of the year. I've always loved watching the fall of snow as it silently drifts down from the sky above and slowly but surely turns everything white and makes everybody feel as if they have been transported to the North Pole. I have always known and I have always believed in the true meaning of Christmas. To give from the heart to those who matter the most to you and to be thankful for what and who you have in your life as opposed to what and who you do not. When I was a kid, I vehemently believed and defended my belief wholeheartedly in Father Christmas, Santa Claus, Old Saint Nick. And I was addicted to every movie that featured Father Christmas. Santa Claus the movie in particular was one of my favourite films and a strong staple of my childhood. Every Christmas Eve night, I would follow all the expected and customary acts that came with believing in a powerful, magical, true saint of selflessness and giving. I left out a mince pie on a plate in front of our fireplace, along with a glass of cold milk and nine individual carrots, all laid out on a tray as the flames of our fire that always burned for all the winter hours of my childhood from sunrise to sunset, warmed our living room and made it as inviting as could be. Of course, the mince pie was for Santa, as was the glass of milk, and the carrots were for Santa's reindeer. And of Santa's reindeer, Rudolph was always my favourite when I was a child. Maybe it was the fact that he had a shiny red nose. Or perhaps it was because of all Santa's reindeer, to my knowledge, Rudolph was the only one to have his own solo song dedicated solely to him. I was a believer in many things when I was a child, including the Easter Bunny, God, and like I said, Santa Claus. However, throughout my life, my beliefs have been challenged and as a result, my personal beliefs have changed somewhat as I have gotten older. Since I was a child, I have heard it said, never meet your idols. Why? I always used to ask. Because you might be disappointed if and when they do not live up to the picture of them that you have in your mind. Well, that was what my dad always used to say. But I think he only told me that when I was a kid because of the bad experience that I believe he had when he met his favourite singer when he was a kid. I'm not sure exactly what happened, 
but I do know that my dad's favourite singer was and has always been the one and the only Johnny Cash. And I think that this bad experience was one that my dad had had with Johnny when the notorious Man in Black was going through a bad time in his life. However, my dad still thinks the Man in Black is the greatest thing since sliced bread and on occasion he can still be heard singing and listening along to the one and the only Johnny Cash. My dad had his Man in Black in the form of Johnny Cash, and I too had my own Man in Black, you could say, in the form of David Bowie. David Bowie was and still is a friend of mine. In fact, it was David Bowie, or at least an avatar of David Bowie's spirit, who came to me a few years ago and taught me about life, death and the true meaning of Christmas. When I was 35, my mum was diagnosed with cancer. It was a week before Christmas when my mum was rushed into hospital after it was discovered that she had cancer from a random blood test that she had taken at our local doctor's surgery. Everything happened so quickly. One minute my mum was happy, smiling and seemingly well and in high spirits and the next she was being admitted to hospital and being given chemotherapy and losing every follicle of her curly brown hair. It was devastating. It was heartbreaking. It was almost soul destroying. It was the biggest test of my beliefs and the hardest time of my life. Not to mention the worst experience of my mum's life because I had never seen my mum so frail, so listless and in so much pain. Seeing my mum how she was then, hooked up to wires, IVs and unable to walk was unbelievably terrifying. On my 36th birthday, I visited my mum in hospital. At that time, she was still bedridden and still undergoing regular courses of chemotherapy. And to this day, I can still remember holding her left hand and looking down at her beautiful face as she slept. And I still remember walking away from my mum's bedside for a moment and going over to the nearby window and looking out and up to the sky and then down at the paved garden courtyard area below and seeing a man dressed all in black sitting on one of the wooden benches and looking up and directly at me. The man in black smiled at me, and then he gestured with his right hand for me to come down and see him. I didn't recognise the man in black immediately for who he appeared to be. However, when I did in fact descend in the elevator and I walked out into the garden courtyard, it was only when I was standing eye to eye with him that I clearly saw and I truly believed that the man whom I had seen was David Bowie. Hello, said the man in black immediately, as he extended his right hand and took a hold of my right hand and slowly shook it with a tender grip. Hello, I replied nervously. You, are you, I mean you're... You're, I asked with a noticeable stutter in my voice. Very happy to meet you, he replied with a big smile. Would you care to sit down, said the man in black, said David Bowie dressed all in black, as he gestured to the bench with his left hand. Sure, I replied with a smile, as he and I released our grip of one another. 
I can't be long. I need to get back to my mum. She's sleeping at the moment, I said, as I looked from the man in black to the hospital window above where I had not long before been standing at, looking down at the spot where I was now sitting. And then I looked down and back at the man in black again, and I felt strangely drawn to his gaze, as if I were being hypnotised by his eyes. I know. I know. And I am terribly sorry. I am terribly sorry to hear about your mum, said the man in black, with a noticeable inflection of compassion and emotion on his face. Thank you. But what can you do? I replied solemnly. What can any of us do? It's life, right? Life. It gives with one hand and takes away with the other, I replied, as I could already feel tears begin to bubble up in my eyes, and as I felt my mind begin to wander, and I began to feel pain and anguish deep inside me. You know, I sometimes think that God has got it in for all of us. Why? Because how could anybody possibly hurt the people closest to them who they claim to love and had made in their own image? How could anybody treat their so-called children like that? I caught my tears as best I could as they rolled down my cheeks. However, you can never stop every tear from making it all the way from your eyes to the ground. Life does not always make sense. But that does not mean that there isn't a reason for everything, said the man in black quietly and thoughtfully. That is what I always believed. That I, that we are all here for a reason. But, but when I look at my mum, I ask myself and anybody else who is listening, why? Why? And what possible reason could there be for my mum, who never hurt anybody in her life, to have cancer? What loving God would make that a reality for somebody? I asked angrily, as my tears fell uncontrollably. The man in black took a hold of my left hand in his right, and he squeezed it tightly, and he said in a soft-spoken tone of voice, I don't know. But I'm here to tell you that things do not have to be this way. That is why I'm here. I'm here to make a difference. I'm here to help you and I'm here to help your mother. I'm here to remind that almighty God above, that all the gods whom I have known all my life, that all who can should do all that they can do, as much as they can, and save as many people as they can from living a life that could be so much more, said the man in black in an impassioned tone of voice as he stared into my eyes. And why would I do such a thing? Why would I take on the mantle of being humanity's herald and saviour? Why would I choose to save humanity instead of just letting everything just play out as if I were a spectator at a football match. Why would I choose to do what others are afraid to do? Because I, like everybody, 
have a duty. No, a responsibility to use my gifts to their potential. If I told you who I really was, and where, to whom, and when I was born, you probably wouldn't believe me. I've changed a lot since those days. Since the days when gods were being born left, right and centre. The world has changed, and gods do not take as much interest in this world as they once used to. However, some things never change, and neither do I. I've always been a rebel. I have been one since the day I was born, said the man in black, as his green eyes sparkled and then changed colour slowly to every colour of the rainbow until he had one white left eye and one black right eye. Who... who are you? I asked nervously. I am here to answer your prayers. I'm here to save your mother. Why? Because that is what you want the most in this world. All right. That is what you said when you were lying in bed last night before you fell asleep. That is what you asked for every day and every night. What you asked God for when you walked into St. Martin's Church the other day. The God might not have been listening, but a God definitely was. Me. And I'm here to do what you ask, said the man in black, as he smiled warmly. What do you mean? I asked, however, not completely comprehending at the time what exactly the man in black was suggesting, nor what he intended to do. Why save your mother's life, of course? replied the man in black immediately. I'm here to free her of her cancer and bring her back to life. I'm here to give her and your family your lives back, said the man in black with a look of complete and utter pure sincerity in his monochrome eyes. What? How? Who? Who? Who are you? I stuttered nervously in reply. What? I, me, we. You and I are going to do it. Us. And all I need from you is to believe. Believe. Believe, Mark. That there is an answer to every question, a cure to every illness, a solution to every problem. I want you to ask me to save your mother, and after you do, I will do just that, said the man in black with a constant smile. But how? How? Why? I asked, completely stupefied by what the man in black had just said and what his words meant. It isn't a matter of how. There is no question of why. Just ask. Ask me for what you want, and I promise you that I will make your wish come true, and I will save your mother, and I will cure her of her cancer, replied the man in black, with a look of intensity in his eyes, and with an expression on his face that I could not read clearly at the time, but which I now realise must have been an expression of anticipation.
Yes! I yelled loudly into the air, my voice echoing and rebounding over and over again off of every one of the four walls that surrounded us both. Yes! Please! Please! I said, now even more in tears as I instantly reached out and took a hold of the lapels of the man in black's long black coat. I'll do anything! Anything! I was exploding in every direction with emotion and tears. That was my initial and instant reaction to hearing and fully understanding the weight of the man in black's words. I can tell from your reaction that you have been waiting a long time for someone like me to come along, so that you could say what you have just said. I can save your mother. I can cure her of her cancer, but before I do and before I can, I need something else from you, asked the man in black as he looked into my eyes, as he too looked into my soul and walked around the spaces of the memories in my mind. What? I asked in a hushed tone of voice, as I could feel the man in black in my head. I will do what you ask, and in return... I ask you to return the favour, the man in black replied, as he took a hold of my wrists with his hands. I would do anything, anything. If you can help my mum in any way, I would do anything. I don't care who you are, but whoever you are, whatever you are, whatever you can do, however you can help me, however you can help my mum. Please, I pleaded with tears in my eyes. As you wish, said the man in black, just before he disappeared in a flash of light. When my vision cleared, I discovered that I was again sitting at my mother's bedside and staring at her beautiful face as she continued to sleep. She looked so peaceful, so angelic. I wondered what had just happened. Who was the man in black? Who had I just been talking to? Had he simply been a daydream? Had I just imagined him? Had I just had a dream about David Bowie? Had he just been a fiction that I made up? But another thought also occurred to me as I sat there. What if he was real? And if he was real... Where was he now, and what did he want? Could he... Could he possibly... Possibly have... Have... And that was when my mum's eyes suddenly flickered open, and she looked right at me. She reached out her right hand and took a hold of my right hand. And then, with a smile, as a tear slowly fell from her right eye, she said, I've missed you. Hermes It was just after midnight, just as the time and the alarm clock near our bed changed from 23.59pm to 0000am, when Christmas Eve night changed into Christmas Day morning, when I got up out of bed and I went downstairs. At 8 o'clock the night before, the kids and I, my daughter Claire, who was seven years old at the time, and my son, David, who must have been about five, 
had laid out a plate of gingerbread biscuits and a mince pie, as well as a tall glass of milk for Santa Claus to eat while he was stopping off at our house to deliver presents for our family. My wife, Melissa, was still fast asleep, as were our kids as they lay tucked up in bed, as I slowly walked down the creaking staircase to the ground floor of this old house where we were staying the night. I opened the door to the living room as slowly as I could so as to not wake anybody up. You might ask, what was I doing awake and walking around so late, so early? Well, I was just... I was just intending to clean up and finish off anything that Santa might not have been able to finish before he jetted off, you could say. Like I said, that was my intention. However, what actually happened when I opened the door to the living room, as the embers of our fire continued to glow, and as the lights and the ornaments on our Christmas tree continued to sparkle and shine, I instantly came face to face with a man in a red suit. However, the man in the red suit who I saw was not Santa Claus. In fact, the man in red who I saw was even better than Santa Claus. And when I saw him sitting there in the armchair that sat just to the right of the fireplace and bathed in the light of the twilight, I was so overjoyed and so overwhelmed that I almost fainted. Oh my God, it's you, it's you, I said with a whisper, as I put my right hand over my mouth in a genuine expression of complete and utter shock and surprise. Because in all honesty, I wasn't expecting to find anybody, nor see anybody, especially not him. The man in bl well, the man in red, as he appeared then, who was wearing a bright red suit, a red shirt, a red tie, complete with a very shiny pair of red leather shoes. As soon as he saw me, he immediately began to smile, and then he said in a hushed tone of voice, What took you so long? I... I... I stuttered, as I just stood there in a dreamlike state of bewilderment. I've already had the mince pie and three of the cookies that you left out. I'll let the other guy who was here before me have the milk. I'm not a fan, to be honest with you, said the man in red, who looked like David Bowie with a smile of amusement on his face. The other guy? I asked myself with a smile, though at first I was a little puzzled about the identity of who he could be talking about until I realised who it was that he was referring to, Santa Claus. I chuckled a little at the man in red's playfulness. Who is this man? I wondered. Even after all this time, I still don't know who he is. The same man who appeared as if out of nowhere five years ago, who cured my mum of her cancer and then disappeared without a trace. At the time, everybody thought that my mum's cancer suddenly going into remission was a miracle and unprecedented. However, I knew better, and I knew had, who had been responsible, and who the thanks should be bestowed upon. I'm... I'm sorry. I just... 
I just, I wasn't expecting you. I wasn't expecting you so early, nor did I know that you knew where I lived, I said jokingly, while simultaneously questioning why the man in red was here, and also how he got into the house with so much ease. Well, I do like to make a surprise entrance if and when I am able. And I hope you appreciate that I changed my attire just for you, said the man in red, as he smiled and patted down and smoothed away any of the potential wrinkles of his fine and vibrant red suit. For me? Why? Why me? I asked, as I walked towards the man in red. Well, for starters, it's Christmas, replied the man in red. and also. Well, because I'm here for a reason, said the man in red, as he gestured to the armchair that faced the one that he was currently sat upon. I have no doubt about that, I said with a smile, as I sat down in the armchair, as the man in red continued to stare at me unwaveringly as I did so. So, how are things? How is life? asked the man in red with a wide smile. Life? Life is good, for the most part, I replied, with a genuine expression of joy and happiness on display for the man in red to see. And your family? They are all well and good? asked the man in red, as he picked up the nearby empty glass of milk and gave it a hesitant smell before putting it back where it came from. My family? Yes. Yes, they are. They're all well and doing great. And while I've got you here, I just want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for saving my mum, I replied, almost in tears. My pleasure, replied the man in red quietly. How long has it been? asked the man in red as he looked me straight in the eye. Five years? Yeah, it's been five years since you last appeared to me and beckoned to talk to me in the hospital garden. So much has happened, but it almost feels like everything that has happened only happened within a split second, I replied with a smile, but with a feeling of unease, you could say. Why? Perhaps I was just anticipating what the man in red was about to say before he said it. Where are we? asked the man in red, as he looked around at our twilight surroundings. This is my parents' house, and this is the house where I grew up in as a child, I said, as I too looked around at the living room that had not changed that much since I was a child. And where are they now? Where... where is your mother? asked the man in red, as he looked at me intently. They're staying at my sister's house for a few days, but they'll be here this afternoon, as a matter of fact, for Christmas dinner, I replied nervously. Are you okay? asked the man in red, as he continued to stare unflinchingly at me. I... I... I feel a little nauseous, to tell you the truth, I replied, as I held my stomach and I could feel something bubbling up inside of me. I'm sorry. I truly am. 
But maybe I can help cure you of your feeling of unsettlement, said the man in red, as he stood up from his armchair and then looked down upon me. The man in red then knelt down on the floor and took a hold of both of my hands that were laid down flat upon my lap. And then, and then, something extraordinary happened. I saw flashes of memory. I heard the echoes of voices. I smelt the aroma of so many different things. Flowers, perfume, a freshly cooked apple pie. And then, and then the man in red and I were standing upon a mountain and looking down at a sun-kissed expanse of rock, trees and silence. We were somewhere I did not recognise. However, when I turned my head to look at the man in red, I could see from the smile on his face that he knew exactly where we were and that he knew this place very well. Slowly but surely, the more that I stared at the man in red, the more that I witnessed another layer of the facade that he constantly wore fade away. I watched the man in red's attire change from red to green to blue to white to grey to black, until finally he was standing tall and no longer wearing the mask of David Bowie. In fact, he was no longer wearing anything at all but a metal hat with wings upon it. I just stood looking at him, aghast, because he no longer looked anything like he had on the two previous occasions that he had appeared to me. His face was different, and another difference was the fact that he was now naked from head to toe. Who are you? I asked, as I finally found my voice again. Oh, I think you know, replied the man in... Nothing, for want of a better way to describe this athletic-looking naked man. Do I? I asked. Of course you do. You are currently in my mind, so I would say that you know me better than anybody right now, replied the man in... Does my nakedness disturb you? he asked, his voice now sounding as if he was speaking English but with a European accent. I guessed at the time. I'm inside your head? I asked with wide-eyed amazement. How? Why? Well, because I wanted to be honest and open with you. And what better way to expose what is inside of you to someone than to show them who you are on the inside? As you see me now is how most people who know me have seen me and would expect me to appear. However, it has been many years since this inner reflection of myself has seen the light of day. These days I am more partial to appearing as my hero, David Bowie. But I know for a fact that you must already be aware of that, said the naked man wearing the winged hat who I now realised was in fact the Greek god, Hermes. Oh my god, you're him, aren't you? I said, in a state of utter amazement. You're really him? I asked, as my realisation of this man's true identity began to change my attitude, the way that I saw him 
and my opinion towards this, this God. As I said, who you see before you is merely a reflection of who I am, who I was. However, I'm no longer so one-dimensional, and I can no longer be judged nor expected to act as so. After all, is not our face merely a mask that we all wear to either disguise or accentuate who we are and what we are on the inside? Explained the man. Explained Hermes. I can go anywhere. I can see everything. I can believe new things. I can be the true messenger that I was always meant to be said Hermes with a beaming smile as the sun glistened off his shiny metal hat and as he closed his eyes and as he opened his arms wide as if he were in a state of ecstasy. Where? Where is this place? I asked as I looked around at what appeared to be high atop a mountain somewhere. This is where it all began. This is where I was born. This is where I took my first steps. This is where I go back to when I am feeling nostalgic. However, not as nostalgic as to ever consider going back home and back to the dominion of my father, explained Hermes, as he slowly opened his eyes to see his surroundings. Your father? You mean, I replied, and I was about to speak Hermes's father's name. However, that was before Hermes suddenly rushed over to me within the blink of an eye, and he put his right hand over my mouth. Never. Never speak his name. Ever, said Hermes, with a look of fiery intensity in his blue eyes. But why? I asked after Hermes finally took his hand away from my mouth. Because names have power, more so than you may realise. Even here, a name can open doors to unwanted places where I choose not to return to, explained Hermes with a slight grimace. I'm sorry, I didn't know, I replied with regret. No matter, said Hermes with a smile, but yes. This place is very special to me. Why? Why have you brought me here? Why? Why have you literally exposed yourself to me? Why? Why have you shown me your true face? Why? Why do you do what you do? Why? Why? Why us? Why me? I asked as I stared into Hermes's hypnotic blue eyes. You know, over the centuries, I've been asked that same question many times. Why? By my father, by my family, by my peers, by the countless people whom I have met and by the many friends that I have made. Why? Why? But, do you know what? 
I've never asked that question of myself. Why? said Hermes, with a smile of delight, and then he let out a chuckle of laughter that echoed all around. <laughs> because I've learned the hard way why it is important to follow your instincts. It may not always be the wisest course of action. However, in my experience, it is the most satisfying way to live your life. For so long, I did what was expected of me. I've told this story to so many people over the years and in many different ways and in many different languages, but in every iteration and version, my constant wish is for people to understand what it means and why it is important for everyone to live their life to its potential. Among other things, I used to be the messenger of my father, the gatekeeper to what is to come for the dying and for those who had given up on life. But over time, I began to realise that all I was doing was wasting time and not truly contributing to this wonderful opportunity to live a limitless existence of constant discovery and rediscovery. You could say that I was a prodigy from the moment that I took my first step out of the cave where I was born and into the light of the world. And you could also say that I was a born virtuoso who invented the constantly evolving and ever-changing magic that is music. But I digress. However, what I would personally like to be remembered as is somebody who truly helped people when they needed a hand to hold so that they could get through a time in their life when they were tested like no other, explained Hermes, as his blue eyes met mine and I saw fireworks of light and colour explode within his irises. You know, in all my life, the only other person besides myself who never once questioned me or my actions and who always believed that I could do anything and everything that I put my heart and my mind to, was the one person who brought me into this world, and who was a goddess in her own right. My mother, said Hermes, with a warm smile of love and recollection. Your mother? I asked quietly. Yes, my mother. I truly would not be who I am without her nor without her guidance and her unwavering and incredible belief in me, explained Hermes, as his face conveyed a multitude of expressions simultaneously, one of which I recognised as sadness. Who was she? I asked, as the image of a beautiful blonde-haired woman flashed before my eyes. Her name? Her name was Maya, said Hermes, in a downbeat tone of voice, as his face now expressed only sadness, the same look that those who have lost someone dear to them wear when they think that nobody is looking. Where is she? I asked, as I stared directly into Hermes's eyes. She... She is no longer with us, neither here nor there. She is... She's nowhere, said Hermes, as he stared back at me, 
before he quickly turned his face away to direct his attention upon the green fields below that looked as if they stretched all the way to the horizon. What happened to her? I asked with concern, as I began to walk around Hermes so that I could look him in the eye again. I... I lost her. I... I couldn't save her. She... She always believed in me. Always. But when the time came for me to believe in my mother and be there for her when she needed me, I... I... I didn't. I couldn't, said Hermes, as he began to cry from both eyes simultaneously, a storm of tears. She was born right here on Mount Kilini, as I was. She was the oldest of seven sisters, and she was the most nurturing and loving mother this world has ever known, said Hermes as he wiped the tears from his eyes. But she was your mother, and you, you are, you are, yes, I am Hermes, the messenger of the gods, able to travel anywhere, anytime, within the blink of an eye. I am the guide to the underworld. And yet, not even I had the power to save my mother, nor bring her back from the dead, said Hermes angrily, as his eyes momentarily flashed a fiery red. No, I mean, I mean that if you are Hermes, and if I'm right, then your father is... Do not say his name, shouted Hermes. I won't. I replied immediately, but, but if you are who you are, and if your father is who he is, then, then your mother, Maya, she must have been a god too, a goddess, but if she was, then how, how can a god, how can a goddess die? I asked, with regret in my voice, a question that I couldn't help myself from asking, which I now realise must have been one of the hardest questions Hermes may ever have been asked in his life. When you take away a god's power, when you take away that which sustains them, when you take away a god's belief in themselves, they too are just as vulnerable and prone to pain and expiration and death as anything or anyone that is susceptible to harm, explained Hermes solemnly. I'm sorry. I'm truly sorry. I... I didn't know, I replied quietly. What? That a god is not as invulnerable as you thought? That even a god can bleed and die. Gods may not be human, but we sometimes suffer the same pains and the same fate as a human. However, when we die, there is no place for us 
there is no underworld where we go. For a god, death truly is the end of the path, the end of the road, the final destination from which there is no coming back from, said Hermes, as he sat down on the ground, and while cross-legged, continued to look out to the slowly dwindling light that glowed in the distance where the land met the sky. I still speak to her, though, and she will always be right here, giving me all that I could ever need, said Hermes, as he put his right hand on his chest beneath where, in a human body, you would expect to find a beating heart. I decided to follow Hermes' example, and I sat down next to him, and I too fixed my gaze upon the light on the horizon. There she is, said Hermes with a smile, while continuing to stare straight ahead. There's who? I asked, as I turned my head to the right to look at his face in profile. Maya. My mother. There she continues to shine, and she always will, said Hermes, as I watched a single tear fall slowly down his left cheek. Why... Why am I here? Why did you come to me five years ago? Why did you come to me now? I asked though I had begun to believe that I knew why he had chosen me and why he had cured my mother of her cancer. To... to give you a gift. To... to give you a Christmas present. To give you an insight into a world that lies behind a thin veil. And also because I didn't want to be alone when I wanted to remember my mother, and I thought that you of all people would understand how lucky each and every one of us are to have had and to have been born to our most loving of mothers. I know that you understand because I heard your prayers. I heard your voice as it echoed throughout eternity. A simple and heartfelt SOS. And when I heard your voice, and when I knew what you were going through, and what you were asking for, how could I not come to your aid and save your mother's life? What is the point of a loving God if he does not do all that he can for those in need whenever he can? Do no harm. Heal if and when you can. For me, that is a way of life. However, it took me a long while to truly come to the realisation of why I am who I am and what I've always been meant for, said Hermes, as he slowly turned his head to the side to look me in the eye once again. Slowly, the light all around us dimmed even more until finally Hermes and I were sitting alone in a world of darkness. I'm sorry, I said, as I looked at Hermes. However, I could only truly make out the two pimprits of light that sparkled in his eyes. 
No need to be sorry, replied Hermes quietly. And thank you. Thank you for being here with me. It means more to me than you could ever know. See you in another life, my friend. Goodbye, said Hermes, before the light in his eyes disappeared and all that I saw was black. No one is ever alone. It's both funny and sad how fast time goes by. One minute you're a kid riding a roller coaster at a theme park and not even feeling an ounce of terror. In fact, it can be the thrill of fear that drives you to keep riding that same roller coaster over and over again, day after day, year after year. And the next minute, which can take place decades later, when you arrive at that moment in your life when you are stopped in your tracks and you have to question your own mortality and what you have done with your life, that is when the cost of life truly hits home. When you are young, you regret nothing. However, as you get older and you start looking back on the memories of your life, you can start to feel an overwhelming number of regrets. I wish I'd done this. I wish I'd said that or not said that. I wish I'd been there and I'm no different. But there are also so many things from my life that I do not regret doing and they outnumber those things that I wish I, that I had done differently. I would gladly take back the arguments that I'd had with some people and be more understanding if I could go back in time and relive those moments again, especially those that I had with people who are no longer here, but who I will always remember. One person who I will never forget is the one person besides me who knows exactly how it feels to have lived so long with a mind full of regret but who also tried to redeem themselves every day by doing good for others. When I was a child, I was spoiled, and I had everything a child could ever want or need. A loving mother and father, and a family who truly cared for one another. Above everything else in my life, my family were who made me the happiest I'd ever been. My wife my children, my parents, my sister and her husband, my friends, my friend. Where has all the time gone and where are all the familiar faces I used to know? Life. Sometimes you've got to grab it with both hands and keep a hold of it and make the most of it because over time it slowly disappears before your eyes and through your fingers until there is nothing left. By now, I bet you're wondering what happened. More accurately, I bet you're wondering what happened to him, to Hermes, to the man in black. Good question. And I have to ask you if you know where he is right now. I would greatly appreciate it if you would give him a message from me. You see, it's been 42 years since I last saw him. 
42 years. And the last time that I saw him was when I was inside his mind. I'm in my 80s now, and I have not seen hide nor hair of him for half of my life. Every day I wonder what happened to him after he literally exposed himself to me and revealed to me that behind his enigmatic and debonair man in black persona and behind the smiling mask of David Bowie lies a god who only wanted to do good wherever and wherever he went. He showed me something that I will never forget. A world of infinite possibilities. He gave me something that I will never take for granted. An eternal hope and optimism and the same vital necessities of life that we all need to keep us going in this sometimes crazy world of ours. I use the gifts that Hermes gave to me to inspire people to continue to give back and do good wherever they went. For 30 years, my wife and I were the directors of a charity, Never Alone, which gave back to people in many different ways, helping the homeless, finding the support for the mentally ill that they sorely needed. Our charity was set up to be a sanctuary and a refuge where those who had been subjected to abuse, both physical and psychological, could come to find a new direction and free themselves of oppression. Our children, David and Claire, still run that same charity. However, I believe that it was recently renamed No One Is Ever Alone. And I personally think that the name No One Is Ever Alone is a fitting name and would be greatly appreciated by one person in particular if they were still around. I sometimes wonder if he is dead and that is why I have not seen him in over 40 years. But then I think to myself, gods can't die. However, then I remember what Hermes told me about his mother, Maya, and I think to myself, gods can die. But do I really think he is? Do I really think that Hermes is dead? No, I don't. Which brings me back to what I would say to him if I ever saw him again, and the message that I would like to be passed on to him on my behalf. Firstly, thank you. Thank you for saving my mother and giving her life back to her, and gifting her with many years of happiness, health and laughter. Every day I miss her more than I could ever put into words. Secondly, thank you. Thank you for giving me all that you gave me when we first met and all that you showed me the second time that we met. You gave me something indescribable and I hope that I have faithfully followed in your footsteps and continued your great work of helping those in need when they need help the most. And thirdly, thank you. Thank you for being you. Thank you for walking amongst us and not turning a blind eye nor a deaf ear to anybody. Your mother would be proud, I can assure you. 
I'm slowly nearing the end of my life and I do not have many more Christmases to look forward to. But it doesn't matter because I am truly thankful and grateful for the life that I have lived and for the people whom I have met. I have dreamed of seeing the man in black again and of shaking his hand and giving him a well-deserved hug and maybe one day I will. If not in this life, maybe in the world to come. Who knows? But I will continue to remain hopeful. Every Christmas I say a prayer and I give a thought to every member of my family, to those who are still alive and to those who have sadly long since passed on. And I always give a thought to someone else also, the special, powerful, influential God and angel of hope who I daily worship at the altar of, to Hermes. To my friend, Merry Christmas. I hope that wherever you are, you are happy and joyful and wearing your best suit, which for me would have to be the one which you wore on the night when you came to me and you told me your story. That Christmas Eve night and that Christmas Day morning when you were my man in red. To everybody who has followed this man's story from beginning to end, I would like to thank you also. I'm sure that I speak for everybody whose life has been changed for the better by the man within these words of mine when I say that his story deserves to be shared and retold to as many people as possible. And he may know that he is still thought of and worshipped as the God that he always was and the God that he will always be. See his face within your mind whenever you close your eyes. Whisper his name and share his message with the world. Keep alive his hopes and his dreams and he will never die. Believe in him and he will change your life.